Coming up on this edition of the Reenactors Corner, we try to figure out if 2021 was a good or a bad year for reenacting. Hear what you've got to say and look forward to next year. Plus, we've got some exciting news about the podcast to share. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday and I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Also, I just wanted to say a special thank you to uh, the new Patreon supporter who we've picked up since the last episode. Heinrich, thank you very much for your support. We are going to have like a little kind of year end roundup wrap up today. I'm going to discuss how my year was for reenacting for 2021, and uh, I've got a couple of guests on who are going to share their perspectives. So uh, welcome back to the podcast, you guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Will Reynolds, a.k.a. uh, Rudy Lange, thanks thanks for coming on. Yeah, hey guys, it's great to be back again. What a year we've had. Sure. And uh, also Ludwig Topf, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks. So um, I've been thinking about it for myself, what 2021 in reenacting meant for me. Certainly there were some challenges. I think I went to eight events, which is probably about average for me lately. You know, the last few years before the pandemic, I probably did a similar number of events. I did, I think, six events with the German group that I run and two events with the Soviet unit that I'm in. You know, the the events kind of ran the gamut. There were some that were smaller than I was hoping that they would be. There were some that were really well attended and had more people than I thought there were going to be. Um, you know, I had kind of wondered coming out of the first part of the pandemic if... Um, reenactment would be huge afterward like if uh, there were tons and tons of people who were just stuck at home pent up and wanted to get out there and do stuff and then uh, on the other hand I was wondering you know people kind of do things because of inertia and there's some people I'm sure out there who um, you know would take a break from something and maybe decide well you know I don't really miss it that much so uh, but I don't. I don't know that I necessarily saw evidence of either of those things. It just seems kind of like the general trends in terms of numbers and participation seem to me to be in line with what they were before the pandemic. So that was, I guess, kind of my thought about it. Uh, Rudy, what what about you? How was your year? Uh, yeah, it was. It was an interesting year to say the least. Just um, with events getting canceled, still, you know, with the uh the state of the world and looking forward to certain events that ended up not going through and events that would push back their dates. And, uh, you know, so yours that, that hope and longing to make certain events and then some of them panned out and others didn't. Um, I just had to kind of take a moment and think back, Oh, at the beginning of the year, what, what events did I attend? And I know you said you had made it to eight of them. Uh, I think I only went to three, maybe four events this year and they were slightly different for me. Uh, just because 
there was one or two events that were close to me. So instead of going and spending two nights and a whole weekend, I just popped down for one of the days, you know, kind of uh, met up with a unit and uh, led the guys in some rifle drill and Gewehrausbildung and um, just did like kind of one day things and then traveled the hour and a half, two hours back home, which was definitely different for me because I'm so used to going for, you know, three, four day weekends. Um, and the beginning of the year was tricky because we were hoping to make the uh, Winterline event at Newville, uh, where they have the Great War Association. And th I think that that got rescheduled three times uh, in the past year and a half. And it's one of my all-time favorites. It actually was my first event I ever attended when I first got into reenacting. So uh, the anticip anticipation and hope to getting to that and then having it keep getting canceled was, was a tough one. Um, but yeah, I think I only attended three events this year. So it was, it was definitely an, an odd and different one, uh, from, for myself. Sure. I, I think I was registered for a Newville event in the spring too, that wound up getting canceled. That's one of the ones I was mm -hmm. thinking about that, uh, was kind of a disappointment. Ludwig, what about you? How was your year? How are things over there where you live? Uh, it was a good year overall, and it certainly made a difference from the, the dry spell that was 2020. And getting back into public events was interesting without this sort of spectre of, of COVID hanging over everybody. Um, it didn't necessarily make me enjoy rushing back to public events, but there were elements of them which I, I had certainly missed. Uh, so overall, good to get back into it, but it, it's definitely going to make me um, rethink the events that I attend in, in, the, in the coming season. And I think I definitely won't be attending as many events as I did, uh, or at least I'll, I'll be prioritizing certain events over others, having done a weekend almost uninterrupted from the beginning of June through to uh, through to September. There are just so many different events, private. Wow, and that's public, a lot of and, events. And yeah, it was it, it was very lots of driving, <laughs> very busy. I think the car just stayed essentially packed most of the time. Uh, with you know, Zeltbahn always in the car because it's it's going to be it's going to be used at the weekend. So I might as well just leave it there. Um, so it gave me a good idea of the kind of things that I want to prioritize for the future. And it, in a sense, it did make up a little bit for. Um, for as I say, the the total oblivion that was that was COVID and lockdown. Sure, and I guess you know as we were are recording this, the COVID numbers are going up again in a lot of parts of the world, and you know we don't really know to what extent COVID is going to affect events in 2022 as this thing just goes on and on. You know, it, it's like like it's funny because last year, as I mentioned, I was planning on going to an event in Newville, Pennsylvania, in the spring. Uh, that wound up getting canceled after having been rescheduled. And so now registration is open for that event again, and I'm looking at going again, but uh, I'm wondering if it's going to get rescheduled or canceled again. You know, it seems kind of like a, a little bit of a feeling of deja vu for me right now. Yeah, it's Chris, you know, it's, it's pretty unfortunate because we actually were just talking about that, how the registration's out and we have guys who are really looking forward to going. And as you said, you know, it got rescheduled twice last year. So, uh, you know, I've already had a couple of people, uh, you know, I don't want to put words in, in anyone's mouth in terms of the event organizers. I'm going to knock on some wood here, but I, I know a lot of people are already, you know, hesitant with the way things are going and different variants. And so uh, I'm crossing all fingers that I have that uh, it still happens. Yeah, right. And it, of course, it's not just that event. You know, that's just an example, but it's like kind of all mm -hmm. all events, really. 
Well, there's a there's a lot of organisation that goes into into getting events ready, especially public events. And um, if there's the sort of idea it could be cancelled at any moment because of COVID restrictions or lockdown or something similar, I can see why it would it would certainly make some event organisers very apprehensive about setting a date or uh, setting anything in stone at, the, at this sort of stage if if things are up in the air. Not just the event organisers, but for the participants, like. Um for a lot of the events that I do that are far away where there's logistical stuff that needs to get figured out, where are we going to sleep, what are we going to use for shelter, for a heat source, a meal plan, it's like a lot of work. And um, if people aren't 100% confident that the event is going to happen, it you know are they going to put in that work, uh, I guess, sort of is the question. Yeah, no, that is absolutely a concern uh, for sure. I know that I personally drive, I know, Chris, you, you make quite some hauls, but I usually drive five and a half hours to six hours to every event that I, I normally attend. And so when you think of the mileage and the weekend, we as, you know, uh, reenactors, the time and effort we put into it, and then you factor in having to take off time for work, you know, and it's it's definitely in the, the back of your mind, you know, is it, is it worth it if, if you think something might, you know, not take place? Sure. Yeah, that's a great point about taking the time off from work. I know people look, I don't have unlimited time off. No one really has unlimited paid time off. So you have to pick and choose what you do. And um, is this event going to be canceled because of a pandemic? It's like a concern that we didn't used to have. But now it's a very valid concern, I think. Yeah, I know, uh, and uh, Ludwig was kind of just touching on it a little bit. Uh, I know that normally we our unit goes to a couple of large air shows and public events, and I, I know for me personally, I kind of had to weigh, you know, what 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 kind of event really gets me excited to to attend, and you know, as a as a military historian and someone who's trying to like step back in time and into their shoes, so to speak. You know, for a lot of these public larger events, I kind of just almost just wrote them right off my own personal schedule, whereas normally I wouldn't bat an eye twice to think about going. But just the way that things are, I'd, I'd rather save up time for some more fuller immersion style events and something a little more zonier as opposed to, you know, sitting around in these large crowds. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of made me take a step back and prioritize what, what events I really, truly want to attend. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Um, with next year in mind, I, I don't plan to take time off for public events. If I get there on, you know, late on a Friday night, that's not going to be the end of the world. Whereas ideally, I would like every Friday off, uh, if not longer, before a, a serious event that I'm looking forward to. So I'll be saving my, my time off for that. Ludwig, how many events do you think you're going to try to do in 2022? I, I mean, I would like to do as many as possible, but then it's again, it's it's this year has shown me that, that the traveling involved and the cost of that travel and, you know, with, especially with things like the price of fuel rising and, and all sorts of different things that go into just getting to the event, as you as you were sort of talking about before and planning all of that out. I don't think it's it's necessarily realistic to to overdo it. You, you put so much effort in and, and you end up kind of burning yourself out. So I think I will certainly be going to the major public events and, and any sort of scheduled private events that we have planned. Um, but more broadly speaking, I think I might knock some of the um, knock some of the smaller public events on the head, or perhaps um, go to a few of the, the, the decent ones and, and leave it at that. I used to do at least twelve events a year, and I enjoyed that. Um, I've been talking with some guys in my group about what our schedule has looked like the last couple of years, what our schedule might look like in 
2022, we've we've actually lost a lot of our kind of bedrock fundamental events that were a part of the reenactment calendar. That's kind of a development that's happened um, in part, I guess, because of the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, this was happening where our season here was really changing, where I think if I think back on it between like 2000 and 2005, my reenactment calendar didn't change that much from year to year. And between 2005 and, and 2010, it was very similar. And, and probably between 2000 and 2010, it was similar. But the difference between 2016 and now for me is very vast with a lot of events that um, have been canceled and some other events that I just, I have kind of moved on from or have lost interest in and for a variety of reasons. So a few months ago, somebody in my group had proposed, hey, why don't we kind of consciously and deliberately plan on doing fewer events next year, meaning less than 12, maybe significantly less than 12. And at first, I was really resistant to that idea. Um, but I just kind of feel like it's almost going to happen whether we choose it or not. Every There's so much uncertainty still that's hanging over everybody. There's still so much... Um, confusion and concern and and stress and it's like you know it's hard to ask somebody to take the time to go to a reenactment event um with everything that's going on so um i don't know you know i i I really enjoyed the events that i did in 2021 i'm sure i'm going to enjoy the events i do in 2022 but i think i just have to accept that there will be fewer of them than like what i used to do yeah, I can I can completely see and agree with the, the need to prioritize, and and it certainly helps avoid burnout, and and you can put more effort into the into the shows that you're looking at attending. But I always I always oddly feel like I'm missing out if I don't go to a show. Like I could know that a show is is just going to be the same thing as it's always been, or it's just a run of the mill public show. But I always feel if I don't go, that I'm somehow missing out on something. Um, and then I, I end up going and, I, you know, it's not that I regret going or anything like that, but I could have missed it and it wouldn't have been the end of the world if I had. Um, I certainly wouldn't ever want to miss any of the private events that we do because they're usually really good. There have been some this year that have been a bit of a letdown, uh, but generally speaking, they, they tend to be a lot of fun as opposed to the public events, which, as I sort of said in the, in, the, in the last time I was on here, they tend to kind of blend into one. They share a lot of the same sort of, same sort of um, characteristics and other than maybe some unique features to, to maybe the event site or something that they do at the event, they're generally quite the same. Yeah, just, just thinking about what you're saying, I realized for the first time that I didn't do any public events in 2021, which I believe is the first year in 20 years of reenacting that I didn't do any public events. And I might well not do any public events in 2022 either, and there's there's a chance that I'll like never do a public event again. I mean, uh, there were some public events that happened this year, and I chose not to go. And I definitely feel that feeling of... Uh, fear of missing out because I know that there's a bunch of friends of mine that go to these public displays and they're all going to be there. They're going to be hanging out with each other. I'm going to see pictures of my friends hanging out with each other and having a good time. Um, but just, I don't know, like my, my, where I'm at in reenacting right now, um, if, if stuff isn't going to feel realistic for me, it's not, it's not really going to be enjoyable in the sense of being worth my time for the most part um you know that's just my opinion 
Well, Chris, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, too, uh, when you were talking about, oh, I, I don't recall the last time I didn't go to, uh, you know, a living history event. I kind of was in the same boat. And you get used to attending the same events year after year, and it's always the same weekend. So when you're sitting at home on a weekend when you're normally at event X, Y, and Z, uh, it's, it's – it's I don't want to say depressing, but uh, it's it definitely affects you because you feel your body and your mind is telling you like, oh, I should be at such and such event, but here I am. Yeah, it kind of becomes a part of the rhythm of your life or even like if you go to an event enough times, it becomes like uh, almost a ritual or like a way of marking the passage of time or the seasons. And then when you don't go to the event, it definitely feels definitely feels weird it's especially that element of when you see everything that's gone on that you've missed and then that that's when the sort of regret kicks in and that's what would make me apprehensive about missing events but i do find it really interesting that you've not attended any public events how does that feel in comparison to years previously if it, you know if obviously if you're planning not to do any any in the future i'm assuming that it's not something that you you've regretted in any way um but you know it, it does it make is it made such a significant difference no um you know, as as I mentioned, I, it didn't even occur to me until we were talking about this that I hadn't been to any public display events in 2021, and I really didn't miss them. Um, there were some some events that I considered going to that I have been to in the past in some cases, but like to give an example, there is a, a very large public display that happens very near to where I live every year. Um, I, it wasn't clear. It happens in October. It wasn't clear in the summer if it was going to happen, what was happening. And then uh, I, the registration came out. I was skeptical about whether the event was even going to happen. I didn't register. Um, and then as it came out, uh, they they wanted everybody to wear COVID masks, which I know a lot of people wear COVID masks every day. Uh, I... I don't, for my work, have to wear a mask, um, and I'm vaccinated, so I don't, I'm not obligated to wear a mask uh, generally. I will wear a mask in situations where I have to, like if it's mandated, for example, if I go to the doctor, I have to wear a mask, or if I see a dentist or any healthcare staff. But the idea of answering questions from the public for two days wearing the COVID mask, uh, it just sounded terrible. Uh, it's uh, I didn't I don't want to put my World War II uniform on and wear a COVID mask if I can avoid it. You know, like uh, if I have to do it for part of the event for something specific, that's no problem. But to wear it for days, basically answering questions for tourists, it just sounded like a dreadful chore. So I opted not to go. And you know, I really didn't. To be honest, I mean, I know a lot of my friends went and had a great time, but I did not wish I was there. And I don't regret that I didn't go. And eventually the mask mandate hopefully is going to go away. But I still might not go to that event. Listen, I know there are people listening to this podcast who are really passionate about educating the public. And I would say, you know, hey, that's if that's your passion, if you want to share what you've learned about World War II with people um, and, you know, be a person who can answer questions and, and pass on veteran stories or whatever it is, that's great for you. But for me, um, after after the novelty of it has long worn off for me, it just just doesn't really appeal to me. You know what? I mean, what do, what do you guys think about it? Yeah, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, 
there was a time in my reenacting career where I you I wouldn't be caught dead missing an event. You know, I would I would miss things, uh, volleyball games, whatever it was. You know, this is something I do year after year. I got to got to get to these events, and you know, the last two years and really the last couple of months, I feel like I've kind of just had an eye opener. Like you said, I I missed a couple of living history events um, over the summer that were large uh, public events. And yes, I miss seeing, uh, you know, the comradeshaft and, you know, my fellow reenactors and friends I've made over the years. But, you know, at the end of the day, putting a, a price and a value on time spent with my family here at home, you know, with the restrictions and not seeing people as I normally do, uh, kind of took a little bit of a priority. So there, there definitely was a lot of living history events that were, you know, large public display events that, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I didn't really miss them. Uh, and I kind of told myself I want to prioritize, you know, first and foremost on spending family time and cherishing those moments. You know, I have an 11 year old at home and, you know, she's not getting any younger. So uh, seeing her grow up and mature is, is exciting. And I kind of want to put a priority on that in terms of sitting at a at an airfield with thousands of people mulling around, um, you know, for a weekend. So that, that kind of helped me prioritize like, OK, well, this is a Newville. This is event that, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart or, you know, there's a couple of events that my unit actually runs. So, you know, I want to make a max effort to get to that or I really enjoy the Odessa events. It's kind of kind of a relaxing zony event for me. So everything that's transpired recently has kind of helped me put things in perspective in terms of what events I, I will or will not attend. And it is a little tricky because I do have, you know, a decent amount of responsibility within the living history unit that I'm a part of. Um, so weighing, weighing that's been, been tricky, but I, I definitely think there's a couple of, of events that, you know, if I weren't to attend it, it kind of would, uh, not be the end of the world for me. Yeah. I, uh, I think there are some elements and I know we've had this discussion already and I'm, I'm sure it will be had a, a million times. I, I think there are some elements of, of public events, which still make them useful. Um, but mm-hmm. As I say, I, I can see certainly winding down uh, the number in, in, in the coming years that uh, I would be attending. But I, I don't know. I suppose it's wait and see. If we even have a, a public season next year, it depends what, the, depends what the whole situation is. We could be talking about this and ultimately it, it doesn't matter because they're all, they're all shut down. So we'll just have to see. As for the masks thing, I would, I would never ever imagine, and I certainly wouldn't attend an event where that was, that was mandatory to, to do so. Um, I, I have no opposition to wearing masks at all if, if that's what people want to do but public events are um, not going to be the most immersive thing in any case by any standard and, and, and there's not anything you can really do to, to mitigate that but there's just something about wearing a, a mask with the, with the kit that just seems to me really really weird, strange I guess um, in, in sort of the early part of, of the uh, early part of the, the summer of the season when masks were still mandated in, in indoor settings um, we we were at a public event and we were supposed to go into a big sort of um, dance hall um, and nobody had a mask nobody had a mask on them so we ended up using sort of handkerchiefs and um, and rags and wrapping them around our faces and it kind of looked like a sort of you know um, German troops in, in the desert or in, in Barbarossa when, when the, the sand's kicking up with all of these huge columns and that, that was sort of funny in a way sort of the, the modern pandemic and then at the same time using this this old old well, I say old method just using perhaps what they might have done in, in similar conditions um, but I couldn't imagine ever wearing ever wearing a mask um, 
like a, a modern face mask or a, a COVID mask with with uh, with the uniform. I think that would just look really, really strange. But I guess kind of moving away from the COVID thing a little bit and thinking about not just the events that I did in 2021, but my general reenactment projects, I made a lot of progress, you know, thinking about it. Um, we are building another bunker at our bunker site in Massachusetts. We made good progress on it. It's not done yet, but we have the frame up and the ceiling and the floor, and uh, it's all kind of wrapped up in plastic right now, waiting for the winter to be over uh, so we can we can get it built, and I'm, sh- I'm sure we're going to build that thing next year. Um, but, but beyond that, just like I, I remember I did an event in uh, June, and I was kind of surprised by how much of my kit I was using for the first time at that event. I've been able to upgrade uh, and replace and kind of fine tune my kit a little bit this year in ways that I think are are meaningful and worthwhile. And uh, I got a bunch of articles up on my website this year and uh, was able to get a bunch of translations done. And it's kind of uh, fun how reenactment is a thing that you can move forward, not just at events, but in the time between events. Um, I think I made good use of my time in 2021 doing that stuff. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think I've spent a lot of time sewing buttons onto all my Feldblusa. <laughs> um, I've been doing a lot of sewing, looking more into uh, you know better ways to treat and handle Marsh Diefel, uh um, I put together an MG impression, so that's been fun researching and looking to get um, different tools and how things were carried and what would have been uh, carried by other members of the group. Uh, so that's that's definitely been an adventure uh, uh, that's that's kept me busy. Um, I, I have a sick addiction to World War II literature and newspapers and books, and so I have hundreds and hundreds of these books and newspapers down in my little, my little Kriegzima. Um, some of them I'm embarrassed to say I've purchased over a year ago and still haven't even spent the time to look through them, so now <laughs> with attending less events I've had an opportunity to go through them, uh, which has been great because it's allowed for me to kind of dive into uh, different aspects of reenacting in the history of the time period and um, I actually created a little little page feel free to go check it out a little shameless plug here um, with uh, Gerhard Greber there on Facebook called uh, German print advertising from 1939 to 1945 where uh, we've been pulling a lot of these German advertisements uh, military and civilian from these various books and newspapers and um, we've been able to share those with the Facebook community. So that, that's kind of exciting because it's a different venue and different perspective on the, uh, you know, wartime home front. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been a busy year. Yeah. For, for me, it's been more a focus on, uh, you know, as with, as with you guys, improving kit, um, and, and changing out items for, for items, which work better, perhaps similar to, to Rudy. I've been building up MG stuff as well. I just picked up an MG for the unit. Um, and I've been collecting sort of MG belts and, and all sorts of little, little bits of kit, uh, over the course of the year. Generally it's, we haven't, I don't think had so much time to, um, or we haven't had to worry so much about material items. Uh, I think people have, have used this sort of downtime in COVID and, and over the last Christmas to, to improve a lot of their kit, and they're always still improving it. I was wanting really to use the time more to focus on changing the unit culture to be more towards where I want it to be, but I think that that is, is, is part of a longer process, and, and perhaps we might get more into that in the, in the coming year. 
Um, so I'm, I'm mainly more looking forward to that now as I feel like we've been so engrossed with, with all of the events that we've attended over here in the UK that we haven't had the chance to really consolidate as everybody was, was sort of so quickly trying to make up for, for the lost time. Ludwig, what, what did you guys get for an MG? Uh, just a, a 42. Um, I managed to pick it up from somebody who is, is le- well, he's not leaving the hobby, but he was doing a clear out. Um, it's a, it is a 42. It's been messed about both by the, by the Bundeswehr uh, after the Second World War. So it's, it's been converted to 7.62 NATO. But where they've tried to, to remove the Waffenamt, um as part of the sort of post-war denazification process, there are what would appear to be SS runes on there as well. So I don't know if somebody's messed about with it, perhaps with a stamp post-war, or whether it's a it's perhaps an SS contract gun. So I'm really interested to to know that. But the you know with with obviously the Bundeswehr not needing the anti-aircraft mount, they, they, they've got rid of that. So there's a couple of bits I need to sort with it. Um, but I'm very pleased to have to have picked picked one up and for a for a reasonable price as well. That sounds great. That's just such an important asset for a reenactment group to have. So glad to hear that. Well, one of the other guys coincidentally just managed to get a Lafayette as well. So I think we're we're finally coming to the point of of, of getting all of this kit together so we can have the full MG grouper. Um, and I think we we do also have an MG fifty three. And I know that those aren't one hundred percent authentic. And there's there's little bits that need to be done with them, um, including the, for example the anti aircraft sight mount and, and similar things like that. But then we can sort of look at the the two MG setup for the Panzer Grenadier Grouper and, and similar things like that uh, in the future. But I, I'm in terms of I, I'm less sort of focused on the material stuff. I'd really rather get down, get sort of knuckle down on the culture side. And a lot of the guys in the group are now starting to focus on that. Um, but it is nice to have the material bits, even if I do I do think focusing on them is a bit. Um, it, it detracts from other elements, you know. No, you know, constantly focusing on on what guns there are and and, and what kit there is is it, it tends to to detract a, a bit, as, as crucial as they are. I agree with you totally. I think you know I've probably talked about this before, but I just think there is a kind of an overemphasis on material culture in general. But certainly with with regard to the squad level assets, it's just like a, a thing you need to have. You know what I mean? It's kind of a necessary evil sort of for reenacting and um the idea is of course once you get those basic things in place and you can kind of check that box then you don't really need to worry about it anymore you have the gear that you need and that then you can focus on maybe you know more fun things like learning how to use all the stuff uh, most effectively in the way that they did it in world war ii yeah exactly but on the flip side however i i do also think when you think you've you've ticked the box and you've got the piece of kit and then you realize that there's a there's a there's a separate thing entirely that means that actually you don't have the kit. So we, we were looking at doing some sort of early war Feld Battalion Felder and Haller stuff when they were part of the the 93rd Infantry Division, and when that division was raised, they were equipped almost entirely with captured Czech equipment as part of a series of divisions that were raised using Czech equipment. So I believe they would have had a variety of of VZ24 rifles and and the ZB machine guns. So that ultimately. That means that's the next set of things that have to be found and bought to, to kind of help make that impression realistic, if, if, if it were to be. Um, so I guess there, there's always the, the searching for something else. Sure. Um, let's get some, let's go to some like uh, feedback from some listeners, hear some other perspectives about what the reenactment year of 2021 was like. Uh, we had made some posts on social media on the internet asking for people's perspectives on the year and we got a lot of great responses so i figured uh 
I would read those and then you guys can kind of react and, and share your thoughts or how they are the same or different from, from what you guys experienced. So uh, the first one was from one of our Patreon supporters, Dustin Belair. He said, uh, what made 2021 for me was the ability to actually take the time to work on my first person impression. It's something I'm always fleshing out more as it was discussed in one of the previous main episodes. I've been able to get to learn more about German culture from the period and understand more of how I would perhaps behave and think during that time, given my impression and what sort of experience they've had during the war. It was also such a joy to have a big local event actually happen this year. The past year saw many events in the Midwest get canceled outright or even at the last minute, so it was a great change. Though the event has its quirks, it's one of the biggest my unit attends each year, and I always look forward to it. I think that sounds like a great year. You know, um, I can relate to that. Well, what What do you guys think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, having participated on the First Impression podcast, it's funny how these little things in and that come in and out of your daily life kind of impact like, oh, how would I have thought? And short example, we have this crazy treadmill at my house that has like a iPad in it and you can do these hikes and runs all over the world. And I'm actually doing a uh, Germany Christmas market run right now. It's like 12 runs through different cities. And uh, this morning's was through Leipzig and tomorrow's is through Dresden. So I'm running through all these cities thinking like, oh, if I was a soldier from Leipzig, like would I recognize this building? Like would I be able to talk about this river? So uh, it's great that, you know, guys out there are still working on the first impression throughout this year and how how these little things that can pop up in your daily life can help you work on that. So kudos to you. That's awesome. Zach Matea on Facebook writes, I started my graduate studies in applied history at Shippensburg University. It's refreshing to be in class with others interested in history. I came in with a bachelor's in education and several who are fellow reenactors. We've had great discussions about honing our craft in the hobby and explaining to our classmates how quality reenactors and events can be assets to historic sites and organizations. I think that's great. I think that's a really cool perspective. You know, the intersection between sort of academic history or or real historians or whatever you want to call it and reenactment is a, you know, it's it's a very interesting thing to me. I have no personal uh academic history background so it's it's definitely interesting to get perspective from people who are into reenacting who do have that experience yeah you know it's always great to be able to chat with people that are like-minded and uh, we actually have several members that live in Canada and obviously with the American Canadian border being shut down for a very long time um, one of our members who's currently in university and working at the university, he's been able to bring in a lot of his kit, like full uniform to the university and have discussions with uh, his classmates and students about the time period. So it's great that, uh, you know, he can't make events here in the stateside, but he's able to kind of utilize some of his stuff and you know bring it into the educational world. Yeah, sure. It's fantastic when reenactors can can use the the hobby as a as a means to educate or to help organizations that educate like that. I agree. Caden Ritchie wrote, "As a relatively younger reenactor, the biggest thing for me was that I joined a unit, which has changed my reenacting experience completely. There's just something added when you operate as part of a group compared to lone wolf reenacting." I now have help finding gear items, people advising me on skills, and events focused on training, all of which I've never had before. I also use the downtime to acquire new gear and, of course, listen to the podcast to get ideas for improving my impression, even though I do U.S. It's been a tough year, but also an informative and productive one for my involvement in the hobby. 
I think it's really cool that a, a, an allied reenactor gets a benefit from the podcast as well. I guess there are there are ideas which are shared which are universally applicable regardless of the the type of or the, the faction is, is the side that you want to do reenacting wise. Yeah, I like it when uh, people who do GI tell me that they listen to the podcast and I try to make it, you know, it's tough for me because my perspective is what it is. You know, I do German as my primary focus and I also have my sort of side impression as Soviet, um, you know, but I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that carries over and um, if there was a, a podcast about uh, allied reenacting. I mean, I know there are other reenactment related podcasts out there that I do uh, listen to more or less regularly or at least check out from time to time. But no, I think uh, I'd like to make our our conversations here as uh, inclusive and as applicable to other reenactors as possible. I really loved what he wrote about joining a unit and how much that helped him. And uh, I I am always online encouraging people who are new to reenacting to join a unit. And uh, just as a disclaimer, some other person actually did write this. I didn't write it, but I certainly, uh, I, I love it. And I couldn't have said that part of it better myself. There was one three, three word um, sentence that I, I do see you, you, you type quite a bit on Facebook. <laughs> I did think of it and I thought, well, I could say that, but I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, not going to. <laughs> Try to cause trouble. <laughs> well, you know, if uh, if ask your unit is uh, if I've got to have a catchphrase, then ask your ask unit you. is uh, one that I embrace. <laughs> my friend and Patreon supporter Mike Snyder writes, "My unit, the Twenty Sixth Rifle and Sikorins Regiment One Ninety Five, started construction of our second Zemlyanka slash bunker. Really looking forward to its completion and future immersion events at the site. I know I did uh, I did mention this before that." We're working on this. Um, it was a major aspect of, of 2019 for us, and 2020 was kind of a wash. 2021, we're back at the building, and hopefully 2022 will be the completion of our new one, which will be bigger and better and uh, use the uh, information that we got, like basically righting the wrongs, correcting the mistakes from the first one. That's that's one of the things I like about reenacting is that it's like a progress. You know, you try something, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but you learn from it and then you can you can do it better next time. Yeah. Edward Schaefer on Facebook writes, a good thing was this year allowed me to get back in the hobby and it was also the year that I gained so much more insight into things and learning more history that I'm proud of. I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's always it's always great to increase your increase your understanding of the subject. I think a lot of people probably felt like 2021 was a year back into the hobby, whether they deliberately took a break or whether it was just imposed on them because of what happened in 2020. You know, it was. Uh, I bet a lot of people felt sort of like they were getting back up on the horse. Mm. Franz Schroeder writes. The best event I went to this year, late September, weather below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, raining nonstop, barely any combat, and spent the one rain-free afternoon shaving, maintaining my leather, and running ammo on my M42 Truppenfahrrad. But the best part of that whole event was me, the MG Gunner Number 2, and my best friend, MG Gunner Number 1, just watching down a rain-soaked road from our freshly built position, rain pattering off our helmets and gun. Light fog across the whole area, just taking turns, ducking down to smoke and have a drink of water. 
Didn't see any combat for four hours in that position, but just loved the ambiance. That's the best part to me. Screw combat. Give me ambiance and menial tasks so I can actually use my field kit. I, I absolutely love this because, you know, I've been reenacting for 10 years and the amount of rounds that I have fired is abysmally low. Um, I know we all do this for different reasons, but it's it's those moments where sometimes even in the middle of an event, you're like, gosh, this sucks. I've been sitting in the back of this truck, like getting covered in dust for hours. We haven't seen the enemy or you're at an event and you're getting rained on and you're thinking, man, this is, I'm, I took time off of work to come do this. But I guarantee you those are always the memories and events that you'll remember down the road. You'd be like, you know what, at the moment that was really dreadful, but man, that's, that's what makes, that's what makes, uh, you know, what we do exciting for us. You know, it wasn't like these soldiers during this time period were in constant combat. You know, they always say that there was hours of boredom and then minutes of just sheer fear and terror. And, you know, looking back on my living history career, I can think of the moments I've enjoyed the most was like sitting at a Bedford village on an Isba porch, like just waiting around or being at the Stalingrad event in Youngstown, Ohio, just with our MG looking down a dusty rubble strewn hallway for four hours and maybe hearing a shot every once in a while, but you know, nothing more. And, and to me, that that's what I feel like a lot of people who do this time period in living history, that that's kind of what gives them their kicks. You know, I, I always say that I would love to do an event on a big river with the Russians on one side, the Germans on one side, and literally be just two days of just sitting there, keeping an eye on the enemy, running food back and forth in the Essen Baharta, you know, maybe have a truck drive by every once in a while. But it just I, there's, there's something really zony, and we as living historians, there's something that's really meaningful behind the nothingness of an event. There was an event recently where... Um myself and, and two of the guys from my unit were, were sort of guarding a, a vantage point at the top of a hill and in, in beautiful surroundings and, and you could see any sort of approach uh, as, as if the enemy were, were going to come towards us but there was no action for what seemed like an eternity and we sat there talking about food hmm. for probably about maybe an hour, an hour and a half just sitting totally immersed in this conversation and I, I i i read some of the sort of accounts and, and memoirs and and look at look at the sort of thing that, and that's what they likely you know would have spent their time doing is talking about a lot of things which are quite ordinary you know zachary williams writes i feel i gained a lot of perspective in terms of events this year our club hosted an event for the first time this year and the amount of work that goes into it really took me by surprise from being at the site months in advance to dig positions, managing the online and in-person registration, to cleaning the site after the event, there's a lot of moving parts. More respect to those who choose to host events. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of work goes into it. Regardless of whether it's a public or a private event, there, there is a lot of logistics and planning that goes into it. And certainly there's a lot of logistics and planning that go into just the ordinary, the, the reenactor side of the travel and, and, and getting there, as we discussed earlier. But it is a, it is a big investment. Um, of time and effort and, and sometimes money as well to get it sorted. I know that coming from a larger unit myself, uh, we used to run one of the uh, Gap 2s here in the United States at the uh, old tank reserve uh, and military barracks. And I can recall many, many a year when on a Sunday everyone else was driving back home after a wonderful weekend, a lot of guys in our unit were, were stuck behind mopping out all the muddy barracks and cleaning up and dealing with the base commanders from the actual military, uh, you know, as we rented out the barracks from them. 
Um, but all, all, just seeing everything that went into it was unbelievable. And um, our unit runs an event at Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's twice a year, but it kind of all comes down to how many hoops and headaches we got to jump through in, in order for it to actually uh, take off. Um, you know, I, I, it's great that the, that the listener said that just because, you know, there, there is so much more behind the scenes stuff and uh, it can be, it can be hectic. So kudos to a lot of people that, um, you know, make these events happen for sure. If you if you're running a, a private event, for example, and let's say that you have a scenario designed for it, you've then got to be reliant on, for example, the numbers turning up to make that scenario work. And then if they don't, you you then got to look at improvising, and and there's all sorts of of planning that has to go into that. And then alternatively, if it's a public event, there is so much to consider, and everything from health and safety and security to to your, your toilet setting and and um, water availability and and taking the the rubbish. There's just there's just a load of stuff that goes into it. Um, and it requires, as I say, you know, a lot of a lot of effort. I was talking to another listener who had some feedback on our previous episode about machine guns, and he really liked, you know, the point that that we made about how much money it costs to run a machine gun. You know, what, how much effort goes into making it work correctly, and that's just like one little microcosm of an event that you might take for granted, you know, that there are people there with machine guns or whatever. But just um, I, I really have to hand it to almost basically to everybody involved in reenacting the amount of time and money and work and effort that goes into having even a small scale event is like really a lot of a lot of dedication on the part of a lot of people. So, you know, I I think it. I, I think it's cool, really. I, I think it's uh, it's neat that the, I'm not the only uh history nerd out there who is willing to put a lot of my effort into trying to recreate, you know, the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> uh, Casey Hogan, who was on that machine gun episode uh, and shared his insight, wrote about 2021. He said, 2021 marked my 10th reenacting year, which yielded much better results than 2020. I returned to Odessa after four years, which brought much joy. I got to ex- I, I got to attend a new reenactment site in North Carolina after moving to Virginia. I got a whole new experience with a different reenacting scene that I'm used to. I scored many new deals for my MG collection. Two of the coolest items I got were refurbishing my DKE 38 radio and having my Schuster Ubermantle lined with rabbit fur. After four years of trial and error, I finally tuned my B-Fonged MG42 to run reliably and to its correct rate of fire. I overall had a fun and exciting reenactment year, and I look forward to 2022 with enthusiasm. I love the enthusiasm part. I also feel I also feel enthusiastic about 2022. I think there's going to be some great stuff next year to look forward to. Yep, the, uh, the global situation notwithstanding, I, I really can't wait to get back into it now. We got some responses on Instagram, too. Gunter Steinman wrote, In 2021, I joined a group called Diesel Dotten here in the UK. I met them at Military Odyssey, a big event over here, and we had an amazing time drinking and talking. So I got to make plenty of friends in my new unit, although I woke up a little rough around the edges for the main event the next morning. The group is a collective and full of so much wisdom and advice. It's just amazing. I instantly gelled with the guys, and now I'm always talking to the boys. P.S. I love the show. Keep up the good work. I like the drinking part. I think that is a, a significant part of, of reenacting, especially in that context. 
Yeah, one of these days uh, we should do an episode just talking about like the intersection of uh, reenacting and drinking. Maybe I could have like someone who's pro and someone who's con and we could have a debate or something like that because it is, you know, it's uh, at some events you won't see anybody drinking at other events. It's a major part of the landscape. Uh, but certainly I would be lying if I said that uh, it wasn't so- anything that I was familiar with. <laughs> well, in terms of... Um... In terms of the pros and cons, I completely get that. I guess it has a time and a place. You don't want people to be absolutely off their heads at a sort of private weekend where everybody's meant to be focused, and it just wouldn't be tolerated. Um, but there is a there's a place for there's a place for I think sort of more relaxed events. Now, if you wanted to have a, a pros versus cons discussion for smoking, I would certainly be in favour of of of, uh, of being in in that discussion. Would you be on the pro or the con side? Oh, the cons, massively on the, yeah. on the cons side. I, I, I feel the same. One of the most repulsive elements of reenacting. I know that's probably quite ridiculous when we're, we're talking about how great drinking is, but the, the whole, the whole get it, the whole encouraging people to smoke to make their impressions more authentic thing is just one of the most rancid things I've, I've had to put up with. Yeah, I strongly. I, I think agree. that if you do decide to do a podcast on this, I think that is an excellent idea. And if uh, drinking is involved, I will volunteer to come back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you mean if there's drinking involved yes. in the do- podcast, or do you mean if there's drinking involved <laughs> while they're recording the podcast, or both during the recording? <laughs> Uh, The U.S. Army photographer on Instagram wrote, For me, 2021 was the year I had my first real event as a reenactor. It was in Borlo, Belgium. I was really nervous, but at the end of it, it was a fantastic day with lots of nice people, compliments for my uniform and gear, and of course, lots of fantastic photos. I think I saw some images from that event, and kudos to the guys who participate that and run that. And the same with the Diesel Dotten group. Um, I've seen a lot of these photographers that are going out to these events and the images they're taking are just outstanding i like that a lot of the, the photographers that come to reenacting events do do everything for free and, and they do it to sort of support the hobby and and they put all of their stuff online and make it accessible to the to the people that they're, they're photographing um i think that's really cool though I, I speak to a lot of the the guys that come to our sort of public shows and and take photographs and they're all really friendly and and, and they enjoy doing it yeah i like it when um when talented photographers come to public events and take pictures and then um, somehow put them online or I even had a photographer hand me um, one year like a USB drive full of photos that he had taken at previous years at the event, which was really cool. Um, Of course, at private events, sometimes there are some people who don't want their picture taken. So, you know, event photographers maybe have to be aware of that 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 could probably be its whole other own separate podcast episode too yeah i under, i completely understand that and that, that that yeah that is a whole separate discussion we did actually at our most recent private event have a photographer come as we we wanted to sort of he's part of the same association that organizes the event and i wanted to make sure he was involved as well um and he he came and got some fantastic photographs of us there were some that i i sent across to you for the for the the um promotionals for the for the, the last podcast i was on but um, we were sort of trying to get into position, and then we've just got this guy with a with a camera trying to to photograph us at the same time, and it, it was it, it did slightly it was it was hard to sort of stay hidden while we had a guy openly sort of snapping away, but it, it was good fun nonetheless. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of assuming here, and uh, hopefully, please reach out to the podcast uh, whoever submitted this. I'm assuming that your first impression is of a U.S. Army photographer. 
And uh, I think, uh, you know, that, that deserves an applause in itself when people can tastefully and tactfully, uh, you know, create an impression that's not just your average, um, you know, rifleman running around. I think that if, if people that do that properly, they, they add, add quite a bit to it, you know, if, as long as that's your first impression. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a pat on the back there. Michael Smith, 1840, on Instagram writes, This year, we were finally able to get our unit off the ground after about a year or so of planning and groundwork. I was able to attend a few private events that made this year well worth it and made some great updates to my kit. All in all, it was a good reenacting year despite the circumstances. I definitely relate to um, spending time doing the planning and groundwork before getting a unit off the ground. You know, this kind of circles back around to an earlier point about the the, the amount of effort that goes into the organization side of a hobby, even just uh, just doing the basics of what is required to get a reenactment group off the ground really is a lot of work, and it takes it takes some time. Well, you have to find dedicated people that want to, to come and sit in a ditch for three days in a row and, and, and wait for people to come and shoot at them. I mean, it's, it's hard to find people that are, that are willing to do that. One of the things that I find is that I find it relatively easy to find people who want to talk about sitting in a ditch. But then when it comes time to sit in the ditch, uh, everybody somehow uh, has something else to do. So, uh, yeah, to try to try to find people who will really do it, it, it can be a challenge, certainly. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was just going to say it kind of ties into something else that we've really been doing as a unit this past year with the limited events is that, um, you know, trying to find the people to do this sort of thing, you know, that have that interest, that drive, that passion. And this year with, with attending fewer events, uh, you know, our unit's been able to go back and revise our unit recruit manual, uh, authenticity standards, uh, being a head recruiting officer and helping other people kind of take over my role and assist with that. Um, it's, it's been interesting because we've been able to spend a lot of time in terms of uh, you know, changing our applications, changing our standards, um, making the way we get people to join in communication more efficient. So, uh, you know, the time and effort it takes to getting in, getting someone involved into this hobby is is astronomical, but it's, it's definitely well worth it. Sure. Uh, we have one last perspective from a listener, Grizzly Saber 72 on Instagram wrote, 2021 was the first time I got to go and display at Military Odyssey at the Detling Showground. Me, a lone Fallschirmjäger reenactor going with a bunch of British and American reenactors. I sat up next to a pitch with other Fallschirmjäger and a guy called Ian or Kit Kat said I could scooch over a bit to look like I was part of his crew for the weekend. Me and my repro Kubelwagen were also allowed into the battle display too. I met tons of really nice reenactors and enjoyed myself so much. For me, it was the best event ever. Ludwig, did did you go to that event? I didn't do military odyssey. No, um, I will. I will hopefully be doing it in the future. I I booked into a different event, which turned out to not be not be quite so good. <laughs> but um, I I think it's really great to hear about just how welcoming reenactors can be. Um, you know, I think that regardless of what kind, as long as your kit would sort of match up, I think most most reenactors would say, "Come and come and join us for a weekend, uh, and 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 see how you get on with with the sort of with the group." So that's that's fantastic to hear. But no, I wasn't at Military Odyssey. I've I've heard some good stuff about it. Is it like one of the big public display events? By my understanding, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big public event, similar to things like the Victory Show and uh, War and Peace. If if I'm not mistaken, it looks to be that way, but um. 
you know, I could, I could be wrong having not been. I like, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad that this person felt welcomed. And I agree with you that reenactors can be really welcoming. Of course, there are always some like small, I've seen some like small clannish groups that are really insular and uh, kind of sit with uh, everyone facing in and their backs facing out and they don't want to talk to anybody. It, it, I guess it comes down sort of to like a, a unit culture thing, you know, and uh I certainly think there's a lot of value in being welcoming and, and trying to be inclusive, but of course I, I can kind of understand the draw of just um, just being around your, your trusted friends and the people that you regularly work with anyway. So I, I guess I could kind of see both sides of, of the, that approach. I, I agree, but at the same time you, you want to, I mean, unless you're happy with the unit being at the size it is and you're not interested in bringing new people in, you want to you want to look at growing things and ideally bringing in people that, that gel well with the unit, as as, as was mentioned earlier, and um, and add something to the unit as well. And and I think that you know although we we obviously talk about numbers and stuff like that, I think numbers do add that. So ideally, in my view, we would want to be to be growing the unit. So I I always bring spare kit along, and if if somebody wanted to try, you know, joining the unit for the weekend and and, and see what it's like, I, I, they would be more than welcome. We we've always got the kit for that. Um, and I know that you know the lads in my group would always make them welcome and, and make them feel part of things and talk to them. But I, 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 again, I can see I can see the other side. But I wouldn't want to be insular or or to seem uh, unwelcoming to, to to potential people that might want to get into the hobby. Yeah, like you know, ultimately, I agree. We're all into the same thing. So trying to be uh, welcoming, you know, and friendly, certainly within reason. I think that goes a long way. I think that's good ethics. I did also want to mention what the most listened to uh, episodes of the podcast were for 2021. It's always good to get feedback from people and hear about episodes that you like, and even if you didn't like an episode. Um, But I thought it was kind of interesting to look back and see what the ones that got the most downloads were. Uh, The number one most downloaded episode was the Reenactor Burnout episode, uh, where we talked about... Um, what causes reenactors to feel burned out and what? how can you avoid it? What can you do about it if it happens? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that that seemed to be the most popular one. I don't know if a lot of people out there are feeling burnout or just don't want to feel that way or what. I think that, that burnout is inevitable, especially if you attend a lot of events and you, you attend them regularly. Um, I guess it goes back to everything that we've discussed. It's just about ensuring that you, you're, you're getting the most out of the hobby and, and not overdoing it. Yeah, you know, I think that this is super important. Obviously, it was talked in the episode, so I won't dive into it too much. But, you know, burnout is a real thing. And like I said, going on 10 years of doing living history, I never once thought I would say like, oh, I'm exhausted or like, you know, I've got too much on my plate. Can we can we give some of my responsibilities to other people? But I had to sit down with like the heads of my unit and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And uh, that was a tough thing to do. But, you know, it's a very serious thing to do. And if you don't handle it soon, then, you know, it, it can spell the end for you. Um, but I, Chris, I'm hopeful that the reason it was number one is because we're getting more publicity and more Patreons and more people into the podcast. That's why I'm hoping it was number one. Think positive. I like that. The number two most downloaded episode was, uh, the veteran voices one. That was the first one with you, Will, AKA Rudy. Uh, so thanks for, thanks for that. People like that. I hope that, uh, part of the reason why that was a downloaded one, I know you were, out there uh, promoting it and telling maybe friends and guys in your unit to check it out. And I appreciate that a lot. So thanks for that. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime I get a chance to share 
you know, the first person stories I've, you know, sat down and chat with these veterans and their experience. It's, I mean, that that's why I'm doing this. So Ludwig, lots of people downloaded the first episode with you too. Oh, excellent. I, I don't feel so left out now. <laughs> uh, I love having guests on, you know, it's been, I, you, I have never met either of you guys in person, but it has been really fun for me to talk to you on the podcast and uh, also many of our other guests that we've had on as well. Um, you know, it's it's really fun to talk to people who live in other parts of the world or in other groups and have their own uh, attitude and, and mindset and perspective that's and it, to see what's different from mine, what's the same as mine, you know, it's it's really fun. Yeah, you know, not not to go on a tangent here, and I apologize, Ludwig. I the longer I've sat here today recording this, Ludwig, I think I sold you an original newspaper on the Feldherren Hall. You did, yes. It's it's a yeah. prized piece of my collection. I, I remember yeah. um, one of the guys in our unit put up a picture in Show Your Impressions of some similar sort of page um of us doing fhh in in the sort of uh mm-hmm. rear line area and you commented on it somebody if anybody's interested in fhh stuff dm me and i immediately i think that's the fastest i've moved to a keyboard in 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 my entire life um and yeah i did it's fantastic I, i'm really grateful for that and you know that that's what's so great about this hobby you know with seas literally an ocean apart and the friendships there are built this is fantastic yeah, exactly. And uh, just to just to remark on it, I, I can see why the the veteran one would be would be you know one of the one of the most important ones. It was a really 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 interesting episode to listen to, um, and just a fantastic insight. I never got the chance to um, to do anything like that because by the time I'd, I'd sort of gotten into more serious reenacting, that that has that time has sort of seems to have ended. Um, I have been fortunate to fortunate enough to meet and to speak to German veterans, but certainly not as much as as I would have liked to. Okay, then uh, rounding out the top three of the most downloaded 2021 episodes was the Is Reenactment Fun episode uh, with me, Lassa, and Ben Longfellow Tracy. Uh, I'm glad I, that was a fun episode to record. I remember uh, laughing about it because, uh, <laughs> like, I. I don't know, maybe other people remember this differently, but like Lassa couldn't really identify. Lassa was like, is it fun? <laughs> you know, I think reenactment is fun. And uh, I hope I hope our listeners do, too, because it is. It is fun. I, I, I only do it out of self-hatred. There's no there's no other reasons that I do it. <laughs> sitting in a sitting in a freezing cold Zeltbahn. There are valid reasons for else. doing something other than that it is fun, right? Like, you know, like I, I go to work, it's not fun, I do it for to make money, you know, so I don't know, maybe there are reenactors out there who think it's not fun and do it anyway, but I think it's fun. If if I if I was if I was making money from this, I'd probably be much more inclined to to, to go even more. <laughs> sure. But sadly not. But it's not yeah. about that. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's it is it is obviously fun, otherwise people wouldn't constantly be doing it and, and, and doing it more and more and more and putting so much effort into it as well but I, I do think that it, it, it is um, there is a fine line where it starts to be not fun and it's just about sort of gritting your teeth and whether it's as I say freezing in a freezing in a ditch or um, in, 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 in the rain or just being generally uncomfortable or wishing you were back at home and wondering why you do it but then it's the fun moments of, of being with your being with your mates and and, and the camaraderie and, and everything else about it that, that make it worthwhile. Yeah, I got to think about like people who run marathons, right? Like running a marathon 
probably isn't fun, but it must give you a <laughs> tremendous feeling of accomplishment when you do it. And there's a lot of stuff I do in reenacting that's fun, of course. Uh, spending all night awake shivering because I'm too cold to sleep or getting soaked in the rain and, and not being able to get dry. Those things are definitely not fun, but they do give me perspective that I can apply to my everyday life. And of course, there's the fun the fun moments too. So That's when you're having a bad day at work, you can think, ah, oh, well, at least I'm not under a thin blanket with just a great coat on freezing to death in a, in a very thin tent. I guess that's, that's always a comforting thought. Yeah, I mean, there's like nothing like reenactment to make you appreciate your own bed and having a roof over your head and stuff. These are cliches, you know, it's like, well, you know, at least I'm not like homeless or whatever. But if you, I don't know, I just, uh, I think that it's... I agree completely. It's like centering a little bit, you know what I mean? It helps give you some perspective. Good food, normal food makes you appreciate that. A bed. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So I guess kind of... Uh, let's look forward to 2022. Um, for me, I, you know, I've probably talked enough about this bunker project. That's going to be a big focus for me. I've got some events coming up. I'm doing an event in January in Fort Mifflin, Pennsylvania that I'm looking forward to a lot. Um, you know, my unit's got, I guess, a couple of new people and it actually looks like the next event that we do, we might have more people at it than any event that we've ever done in the past, which would be really cool because we've kind of been stuck at the same exact level uh, for years. If, you know, being able to transcend that would be really cool for my group. Uh, what about you guys? Um, what are you looking forward to for 2022? Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful for Newville taking place after three cancellations. Uh, it's just there's no site quite like it. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, being part of our unit's recruiting, um, you know, head officer, um, I'm really excited to see some new guys that we brought in toward the end of the year, uh, get to their first events, uh, seeing their excitement gets me, um, ready to rock and roll and pumped up for a new, new year of, of living history. Uh, I know at our Hazleton event there at the end of September, we had, uh, I want to say four or five new guys attend as their first event. And some of them were much younger, 16, 17 years old. And um, seeing their passion and how they're coming together and becoming best friends reminds me of when I first joined with other new guys and that kind of sense of longing to fit in with the group and, oh, hey, you guys are new too, I am too, and the, the bond that's created there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh uh, you know, the new friendships take place and what these guys bring to the table and, you know, the things that we can teach them to, uh, you know, start off their their reenacting career. So I'm, I'm very excited for, for this upcoming year. Next year is going to be start off starting off really well. At the very beginning, we've got a, a, an event in January portraying um, one of the Folks Grenadier divisions, which is, uh, as I mentioned last time I was on, the original unit that we were going to portray um, before we got distracted by brown cuff titles and, and SA stuff. So I'm really excited to do that, and it's it's a it's a great way to start the year. So I hope it's a it's a marker for how the rest of the year is going to be. It's one of those events you can't really describe, but you sort of have to be there because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. I think that female reenacting is still sort of in its embryonic stage, but I do think that there is room to grow. A lot of reenactors probably had like some sort of burnout maybe from like years past. It sucks, but it was a pretty good pause for everyone to kind of like regroup and like kind of like a really nice refresh to get back out there. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. 
I do want to give some news to everybody listening out there about the podcast. Um, the Reenactors Corner is going to look and sound a little different in 2022. Uh, starting January 1st, we're going to introduce a new logo, which we hope you'll like. So expect to see that across all of our social media and web pages. Plus, we'll also be using it on a range of merchandise that's in the pipeline. So look out for that, too. Um, also, I know some of you have been wondering where Lasse is. Well, the truth is, is that things got busy for him, and he's now involved in a range of other projects. So starting in January, I'll be joined by my good friend and fellow reenactor, Ben Longfellow, who's been on the show uh, many times before. He'll be my regular sidekick on the show. Plus, we've got a whole range of other great guests lined up for you, too. And we'll also be branching out into YouTube. And uh, thanks to all the Patreon supporters, we're going to be recording at least some of the podcasts at reenactment events using the new equipment that you guys have helped us to buy. Um, and it goes without saying that we're forever grateful for your continuing support via Patreon. So thank you very much for that. But we can't go without saying a big thank you to Lassa, too. He and I started this podcast together back in 2019, and he is a huge part of the reason why it's become such a great success. Uh, so using my best Norwegian, it's a big Tusentak, Lassa, and the very best for the future. Uh, so Ludwig and Rudy, thanks for coming on, and thank you for... Um, sharing your perspectives about uh, 2021 and and hopes for 2022. My pleasure. Really enjoyed being on as always. Yeah, my, my pleasure as well. Just uh, best wishes to everybody and a happy reenacting year forthcoming. Yeah, let's, uh, let's raise a toast then. Drink a glass for you guys and uh, a toast to all the listeners and all the reenactors out there to a happy and uh, healthy and a better 2022. Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers.